Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I'd like to begin this morning by saying thank you to all of you. Uh, if you don't know, it's my last normal worshiping Sunday with you. I'll be here for fifth Sunday for the service project. But the last nine months have just been awesome. You've welcomed welcomed Bree and I in with open arms. Um, If you haven't been an intern, especially at a church, it's kind of a weird feeling. You get dropped into a family that already exists, already knows each other, and then, um, you know, you're expected to just fit in, I guess. And I remember the first few weeks, Andy's like, you know, greet guests. And I was like, I don't know who a guest is and who a regular person is. I would be like, oh, welcome. And they're like, I've been here for three years. Who are you? You know, so uh, you have all been so great and generous and patient uh, with me. And so uh, I really appreciate that. Um, Plus, I just feel like I really fit in here. I mean, the last affinity group I went to was a brewery tour. So this is my kind of church. My time here has been filled with laughter and joy, but the Apostle James tells us that we should turn our laughter to mourning and our joy to gloom. And that's what we're going to do today because we are talking about lamentations. Um, I'm actually really excited about Lamentations, though. I think it's a very misunderstood book. I think it's um, actually got a lot to offer us. And I want to argue that it's actually a great comfort to us, but we have to let it comfort us. But we'll get into that more as the sermon goes on. Um, What happens with Lamentations, I think, most often is that if we're feeling brave, we think, okay, I'm going to try and read Lamentations. We open it up and we read the first line in the first chapter. Hit it, Casey. How lonely sits the city that once was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She that was great among the nations, she that was a princess among the provinces, has become a vassal. And we're like, "Mm, I'm not really here for that. That's a little bit too much. But, so, so we lose, some of us are just phone in at that point. We either go to a different book or we just shut our Bible uh, for the time being and push it aside. But some of us are a little more resilient. We press on. We're like, well, maybe I'll try chapter 2. So here's chapter 2, verse 1. How the Lord in his anger has humiliated daughter Zion. He has thrown down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. So we lose a few more at that point. A few more skip to another book, shut their Bibles. What about chapter 3? I am one who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. Chapter 4. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed, the sacred stones lie scattered at the head of every street. Okay, chapter 5. Last chapter. Come on, come on. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Just give me some good old-fashioned Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's what we need. That's the kind of encouragement we want to hear when we read the Bible. 
But Lamentations doesn't quite give us that shot of hope that we're hoping to get when we open Scripture. It doesn't remind us that God is with us. In fact, it calls into question whether God is with us or not. It's true. Lamentations is not a feel-good book. I'm not going to try and tell you that it is. But I believe Lamentations is art. Lamentations is poetry. Literally. Each chapter of Lamentations is a poem. And like any good art, you have to sit with it for a bit. I took a number of poetry classes in college, and one of my professors said, you have to read a poem a minimum of three times to get anything out of it. You probably still won't really understand it, but you've got to sit with it and read it over and over again. There's no speed reading a poem, and there is certainly no speed reading lamentations. But the beautiful thing about art is the way that it draws us in. And before we know it, it's evoking emotions in us that we didn't know were there or that we thought we buried long ago. It's like one of those movies um, that's deep and heavy and depressing. You know, the ones that win all the awards? Like Foxcatcher. Who has seen Foxcatcher? All right, me neither. <laughs> I was just talking to a friend about that movie, and he was saying that it's amazing, that it's like one of the best movies he's seen, and then he also said it totally wrecked him, and that he was emotionally devastated after he watched it. Then I told him how I always want to watch a movie like that, but I usually uh, go for a Judd Apatow movie instead. Um, I'm really in the mood to watch one of those heavy movies. I'm never like, hey, it's Friday night, let's rent room. That sounds awesome. A kid grows up for five years in a room because of like an abusive parent or something like that. You call, the, you call our friends, invite them over, I'll get the popcorn going. Um, that sounds like a great Friday night. But when we do watch those movies, or sit in front of that painting, or read that poem, or listen to that song, we find that they usually have an astounding impact on us. They remind us somehow of what it means to be human touch us on some deep level within us. At times, it's if they are more real than reality. Like they've taken all the emotions that lie beneath the surface and they've condensed them, distilled them into a moment or a work, an album or a photograph, a song, like the one we sang from you 2 today. And it's almost too much for us at times. It's too real. And the funny thing is that often, on its surface, works of art appear to be about some experience that is utterly foreign to us, and yet we feel that it speaks to us directly. To go back to one of my poetry classes, I once read a poem called I Am Goya by a Russian poet named Andrei Vaznesensky. I really wanted to try and just say it, but Vaznesensky. Um... And I read it like eight years ago, and I've never forgotten it. I mean, it's this, I've never heard about it since then, but this poem, I Am Goya, and it's haunted me. I read it before this sermon, and I thought about sharing, but it's even darker than like Lamentations. It's about the Holocaust. And when I read it again, I was devastated all over again, but I was also moved all over again. Lamentations is similar. 
In the five poems that make up Lamentations, multiple characters lament the fate of Jerusalem, which had been conquered by Babylon. The Babylonians had killed, raped, and orphaned some, and taken others into exile. The great city had been destroyed, and following its defeat, a famine struck the land. Those who were left were still reeling from the physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual wounds that resulted from this destruction. They had thought that they were the people of God. They had thought that God would protect them. Does that sound familiar at all? They had thought they were the people of God. They had thought God would protect them. They thought God loved them. All of a sudden, lamentation seems to speak to our own experiences, our own questions. I'm fairly confident that none of us have ever been a part of a city that was conquered by a foreign army. That some of our loved ones were taken into exile and our homes were pillaged. And yet, Jerusalem's questions and lamentations are our questions at times. Have you forsaken me, God? Probably all of us have asked this question at some point, or will ask this question at some point. I'm sorry to say that it's kind of just part of life. Lamentation speaks to a common human experience. The experience of trauma and tragedy. The experience of feeling alone and isolated from God and other people. This is how the character known as Daughter Jerusalem feels in the book of Lamentations. She's the personified of city of Jerusalem that has been devastated by the Babylonian army. And she says in chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, Look, O Lord, and see how worthless I have become. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow. In her pain and suffering, she wants to be seen and acknowledged by God. And her, and her people, but no one pays any attention to her. She's been abandoned in her time of need. This is how we often feel when we experience trauma or we suffer abuse or we lose a loved one. We want someone to acknowledge us and our pain. In chapter 2 of Lamentations, the narrator sees daughter Zion and he does acknowledge her. He doesn't try to offer any easy answers to why she suffers or try to trivialize her pain. Instead, he legitimizes it. He says in two, chapter 2, verse 13, What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter Zion? For vast as the sea is your ruin, who can heal you? But just acknowledging her pain isn't enough. He actually begins to grieve and lament with her. He says, my eyes, in, sorry, in chapter 2, verse 11, my eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of my people. The book of Lamentations is for us today what the narrator was for daughter Zion. The book of Lamentations says to us, yes, I see your suffering, I acknowledge your pain, and I want to tell you that you're not alone. The biblical scholar Kathleen O'Connor has done a ton of work on Lamentations. Almost every commentary I picked up was by her, it seemed like. And she says, Lamentations is not depressing. It 
cannot cause sorrow, hostility, or despair. It cannot evoke emotions readers do not already know. Rather than creating pain, it reveals pain. It serves as a witness, a knowing, a form of seeing, wherein readers recognize their lives, symbolically or more literally, and in that recognition, they are no longer alone in their pain. Like all good poetry, Lamentations does not fabricate emotions. Instead, it reveals what is already present. And while what it reveals may be painful, it ultimately comforts. When we are in the midst of trauma or tragedy or suffering, Lamentations meets us where we are. It gives words to the feelings we don't know how to express. It assures us that we are not alone in our pain. That's what we, what we really want when we're in a dark place, isn't it? We don't want someone to explain to us why something happened or to tell us that it's really not that big of a deal. It'll all work out. We want someone to come along and tell us, yes, this sucks. I'm with you, though. And I'm for you in this moment. Here's a kind of trivial uh, example, but it's not too trivial. Bree would certainly not think it's trivial. After our wedding, Bree and I got a phone call from our photographer, and she said that the memory card that was in her camera was partially corrupted, and she had lost a bunch of our photos. And so when we got the photos, almost all of my pictures with my groomsmen were there, and almost none of Bree's with her bridesmaids were there. And um, when obviously Brie was very upset by this. And as she was crying, I wanted to tell her that it really wasn't that bad, that it would be okay. But the truth is, it was pretty bad and it wasn't going to be okay. There was no recovering those photos. The photographer had done everything they could, they were lost. And as Brie was crying and she said, am I just being dumb and oversensitive for being so upset? All I could say was, no, you're not being dumb. It's really awful and I'm sorry that this happened. And I think that's probably the most comforting thing I could have said, right? It wouldn't have made her feel comforted for me to try to say that it wasn't a big deal when it was. But rarely do I personally react like that in those kind of moments. I want to find a way to say that it'll be okay, that it's not as bad as it seems. Sometimes we also aren't ready to admit that we don't have the answers, that things are actually pretty dark. We don't want to admit that we're questioning God or we're doubting our faith. When, tra- when tragedy hits, we want to run to those comforting verses like Romans 8:28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Or 1 Corinthians 10:13. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your own strength. Or like Job's friends, we try to give our own rationale for why God allowed this or that to happen without any real evidence to support our claims. But when we try to make this move, when we try to skip ahead to hope too quickly without working through our pain and sorrow, without lamenting, we aren't being honest with ourselves and we aren't being honest with God. We lean on answers that ultimately can't hold up under the weight of reality. Let me refer to one of my 
family's favorite traditions. I know you couldn't relate to our tradition of playing cribbage last time I preached, which was a little bit disappointing, but like Andy said earlier, I'll forgive you. One of our traditions is that we watch a Christmas story every time the Christmas sto- uh, the Christmas season rolls around. And a Christmas story is full of memorable quotes and um, hilarious scenes, but probably nothing is as, is as iconic as the lamp. In the movie, Ralphie's father, uh, Ralphie's the main character, Ralphie's father wins this major award. He just knows it's a major award because he uh, completed a crossword in the local paper. And when the major award arrives... They find out that it's a lamp, but the lamp looks like this sexy woman's leg, uh, complete with a fishnet stocking and a high heel. And Ralphie's father is just over the moon, like he's so in love with this lamp. And so he places it right in the center of their uh, like living room window so that everyone on the street can see. And at one point, like after he puts it up, he goes out and he's trying to tell the family how to position it. And the whole neighborhood is crowding around to look at this lamp. This lamp is contrasted with Ralphie's mother, who hates it. And Ralphie's mother is quite possibly the best mom anyone could want, except my mom, of course, because she's right there. Um, But she isn't really what, Ralphie's mother is not what you would call sexy. She wears frumpy outfits, and her hair is all frazzled, and she seems a little bit scatterbrained trying to take care of her kids and her husband. But she's the one who holds the entire family together. She's like real life. She's messy and disorganized, but she's also loving and wonderful and beautiful in her own way. The lamp, on the other hand, is nothing like real life. It's plastic and it's idealistic and it's just plain fake. And what's more, this lamp actually does the opposite of what a lamp is supposed to do. A lamp is supposed to reveal reality. It's supposed to illuminate the darkness. So when we get up in the night and we have to go to the bathroom, we turn on the lamp so we don't trip over things in the dark. We turn on a lamp to read a book. We turn on a lamp to gather around the coffee table and play cribbage. But this lamp isn't reality. It actually distracts from reality. The lamp draws everyone's eyes away from the real world and focuses them on a sexy, beautiful, but ultimately false caricature caricature of reality. When the lamp is on, no one can focus on anything else. It stands like a beacon in their front window, drawing all eyes to itself. Later in the movie, as Ralphie's mother is watering her plants, she accidentally breaks the lamp. The film doesn't show what happens, right, accidentally. So we don't know whether she did it on purpose or not, although there may be a sneaking suspicion that it was not an accident. But either way, in the end, reality destroys falsity. Whether by accident or on purpose, the real mother destroys the false idol of what Ralphie dubs at one point in the film the soft glow of electric sex gleaming in the window. Ralphie's father is, of course, furious and tries everything he can, he can to reconstruct the lamp. 
He completely rebuilds it using glue. He puts all the little pieces together, but it still looks all misshapen and kind of deformed. And as soon as he sets the lampshade on top, the whole thing crumbles. And eventually he must admit defeat and bury the lamp in the backyard. When we experience trauma, or someone we love experiences trauma, like Jerusalem did in Lamentations, and instead of giving voice to our feelings, instead of lamenting, we try to explain away the pain, our answers act like the lamp in the movie. They don't illuminate reality, they actually draw our eyes away from reality. They distract us from our real fears, our real worries, and our questions. Eventually, these answers will collapse, and we will be left in the dark, holding the broken pieces. But it makes sense that we are afraid to engage with lamentations. I get it. It makes sense that we hold it at a distance. Lamentations touches wounds that may still be fresh, or scars that never healed, or parts of our hearts that are too raw. To read this book is hard work. It requires us to be honest about our pain and doubts about God and our world. Lamentations isn't difficult because it pulls us into some foreign world of darkness and depression. It's difficult because it reveals what's already there. Deep down inside of us, the sorrow we've tried to bury under layers of denial masked as faith. That's why I said in the beginning that Lamentations is only a comfort if we let it be. We have to be willing to sit with it. Lamentations is a valid part of God's inspired word. Lamentations is a place in scripture that makes room for doubt and fear and hurt. It even creates a place, a safe place, to blame God for the things that go wrong. The Word of God gives us the language to blame God if that's how we feel. That can be a great comfort if we are honest about how we feel in the wake of death, abuse, depression, and loss. But most of the time, we don't want to be that honest. It's too scary. Like me watching a Judd Apatow movie instead of watching Room, it's just so much easier. But if we're brave enough, we will enter the space of lamentations. And we may be surprised to find that our crucified Savior is there. We will find the one who wept outside the tomb of Lazarus. We will find the one who sweated blood in the garden of Gethsemane. We will find the one who cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's true that we believe in the resurrection, but the resurrection only came after three days in the tomb. If we are to truly be resurrection people, we must also enter the tomb, so to speak. We must enter fully into lament when trauma and tragedy and despair find us, trusting that there will be resurrection on the other side. Faith is not pretending that our doubts, our anger, and our pain aren't there. Faith is trusting that God, hold, God can hold our doubts, our anger, and our pain. 
Faith is trusting that God will hang on to us even when we cannot hold on to God. Will you please pray with me? Lord, thank you for the space you create for us. Thank you for this space where we can wrestle with scripture, wrestle with life, wrestle with our own doubts and our questions, and thank you that you are there. In fact, you showed us how to do it through your word and through your son. We pray that you'd be with everyone here, whether they are in a time of joy or sorrow, that they would feel your presence and feel your love. And in Jesus' name we pray. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.